Let's go back 2,000 years ago and we, we come into Jerusalem and we see Jesus and he's holding his weekly news conference. You didn't know he had that, did you? But actually he did, kind of the picture shows that. And he's surrounded by reporters from, first of all, the Jerusalem Times. And the Jerusalem Times reporter puts her hand up and says, Hey, Jesus, did you hear about the slaughter that was going on because Pilate came in and mowed down all those folks? And Jesus then went to the next person. And this one happened to be a reporter from the Indian Express. And this reporter piped up, Hey, Jesus, over here. You know about the earthquake that killed 10,000 folks in Bombay, India this past week? Wow. Why were those people killed and not others? Was the man upstairs looking out for some and not for others? Still others, as Jesus scans the reporters. Reporter from Tokyo Telegram. He was up next. Hey, why'd the folks in Ukraine get hammered by the Russians and nothing's happening to the Russians? Is it God taking sides? Doesn't sound fair. Are they worse sinners than the rest? And then the New York Times, of course, that reporter has to jump in quickly and get into the fray. And he asked this very profound question. Jesus, why was quarterback Russell Wilson traded to the Denver Broncos instead of Aaron Rodgers? Now, is the man upstairs showing favoritism to Green Bay? None of that was true, folks. None of that was true. But it's setting the theme for what we're talking about this morning. You see, Jesus was involved in answering people's questions, and he did it frequently. And he wasn't totally taken aback by these questions that our text that Dave read for us moments ago uh, talked about. I mean, he'd heard similar sentiments before. And in fact, when they were standing by the Pool of Shalom, that's the pool in the southeast corner of the, of the temple area, and there was people who were sick and for a long time, and they would hang by the pool, the thought being, if they could get into that pool first, then an angel would come down and heal them. So he got this blind guy there, and one of the disciples points to this guy, the guy who was blind, and approached them and said, hey, is it his fault or his parents' fault that he's blind? Ooh, that's kind of cruel. Well, that brings us back 2,000 years to today. And we have to ask ourselves, are the questions that you and I ask today about what's going on in our world any different than they were 2,000 years ago? And the answer, well, specifically, it's not direct correlation, but the concept is the same. And so we ask such questions today. Hey, you know, it had to be her fault that she was raped. I mean, with that skimpy outfit she was wearing, she was asking for it. Or maybe questions asked today, you know he died of AIDS, eh? Well, I'm not surprised. That's God's punishment on him for being a queer. Or, again, serves them right for buying house right on the earthquake fault line. What do they think's gonna happen? Well, what's the underlying assumption being made in all of those comments and assessments? Well, the assumption is there is a direct correlation a direct correlation between sin and tragedy. Between sin and tragedy. That was 2,000 years ago. It was beyond that to the uh, Jewish folks back as they're leaving the Exodus that our first lesson talks about. And it's true today. And the assumption is, by many folks, that the victims in any of these terrible situations were worse sinners than everyone else around them. Well, 
Jesus kind of talked to the folks then, and he's kind of looking at you and me this morning. He says, you know what, folks? I got some good news for you. Jesus said to the folks pummeling him with questions those years ago, those of you who believe those folks that were killed or harmed had it coming that they deserved where their fate or deserved their fate are dead wrong. They're wrong, wrong, wrong. And then Jesus gets to the punchline, which is hopefully part of our takeaways this morning. And that is, you're not looking at these stories from the perspective that everything is, all per, is, is wrong and that these people had it coming. That perspective is perverted because it's not true. Tell you what, Jesus says. Rather than focus on the victims and percolate on why their lives ended the way they did, here's what you really need to do. And this is a takeaway for us this morning. You really need to be taking a good, hard look at yourself and where you are at the choices you make, the behavior you do, and not turn from, and as our text says, not turn from your sins, your sins, he says. You will all die as they did. Ooh, that's kind of harsh, but true. Well, how'd the folks respond? While Jesus' response was met with icy stares and dead silence, they didn't like what he was saying. No comebacks, no follow-up questions. They asked him a question, he gave them a straight answer, but it wasn't the answer that they wanted to hear, mind you. They had the preconceived notion that if they get these punishments, it's their fault, they deserve it. They would rather prefer him to prove every one of the victims deserved to die the way they did. That if you went back and analyzed their lives and their lifestyle and their parents' lives, and even their grandparents and great-grandparents, yet find the hand of God at work punishing because of what they've done. So that what appears to moral bad things to all people, Jesus is saying that's simply not true. So instead of focusing on other folks, here's what Jesus says. This is what you need to hear, he said. He made it clear there was no rhyme or reason for those folks to die at that time under those circumstances. It could have happened to anyone who was standing there, specifically talking about the, those folks that were mowed down, that were in the temple offering sacrifice. They were in church doing all the right things when Pilate's troops opened fire on them. Or, Jesus is making the point, as one of the other questions obviously was asked, that any one of the folks worshiping that day in church could have been at the construction site in church when the tower toppled. Or more today, any one of them could have given birth to a child with abnormal chromosomes. Any one of them could have been at the wheel of the vehicle that was involved in a collision or a passenger on an airplane that crushed and innocent bystanders were uh, problem had problems and deaths coming to them, or perhaps those bystanders on whom bombs have been dropped, whether in Ukraine, Russia, or elsewhere. The ground could have trembled where the folks lived and brought about great devastation. And his entire point is it had nothing to do directly with their spiritual standing, or their moral makeup, or their exemplary or less than exemplary behavior. And so he says, when you read or hear or see these events happening, 
He says, stop looking for reasons why something happened to others. Stop playing this sinister game called spot the sin. Stop being a, a coroner performing moral post-mortems on every victim that you can find. Jesus said elsewhere, before you point out your, to your neighbor that she has a speck in her cornea, make sure you don't have a two-by-four attached to your own retina. I'm sure you've done this as kids and as parents, you probably told your kids, you know, when you start pointing your finger at somebody else, take a look at what's left. You got three fingers pointing where? Directly back at yourself. Well, that's God's way of saying, don't fix the blame on others. Instead, fix your own problems first. Okay, there's plenty there to do. And he's right, of course. Now, we do have problems, don't we? I don't think anybody would, would dispute that fact. And that problem is basically called sin. Root cause. Root cause. Those things that we say or do or think that God tells us don't do, don't say or don't think. All of those hurtful and harmful actions, those words, those thoughts, they're damnable sins. And beyond those obvious sins we choose to do or say or think, we also have the inherited sin passed on to us from mom and dad, from grandpa and grandma, great-grandma and great-grandpa, all the way back to Adam and Eve. We call it what? Original sin. Stuff that we've inherited, not necessarily that we've done. We do our own stuff, but we also have that original thing that weighs on us. And that sin also separates us from a holy God. It's true. So, we got a big problem. It's called sin. Sin, whether it's raw and blatant, that's so obvious that we just shake our heads, or more mellow and subtle, sin is all the same. All sin condemns. You catch that? All sin condemns no matter what. There's no such thing as a little sin or a big sin as far as God is concerned. All sin destroys. It's sin that condemns us to hell if left untreated. Ah, that's the good news for each of us. If left untreated. But it has been treated. It has been dealt with. And we call that Christmas. We call that Easter. Jesus coming to our sinful world was to fix things for us. His perfect and sinless life was sacrificed on that executioner's cross 2,000 years ago on Good Friday. And he died with the guilt of our sin piled upon him. And because he willingly accepted the guilt of our sin, the penalty of death and hell, which was our just reward, been satisfied. We've been forgiven. Not that we didn't do it, not that we don't deserve it, but he says, I forgive you. And now we have heaven to look forward to instead of hell. Wow. I love it. I love it and I need it. And so do you. So what that means as we kind of pull this whole thing together, hopefully, that means if you're still looking around at the fellow next to you, kind of comparing and saying, well, next to him, I'm pretty darn good. What a loser! Well, the sin thing is a reminder that we're losers too because of sin. But also, cling to this promise from God to you. Because of Jesus, you are now fully and freely forgiven sinner. 
You are a winner, headed for heaven. And the response, thanks, Lord. Be thankful and grateful for what you have been given. And as a result of that thankfulness, we respond. So to make his point, Jesus tells a story, great storyteller. He tells this parable, the story about uh, it took place in barren, you gotta keep in mind, a barren, rocky terrain uh, of Palestine in the Mideast around Israel and, and Lebanon and that whole region where arable land, tillable land, uh, uh, Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota type of farmland was at a premium, which meant if you plant a fig tree, which was a big crop back then, it, and it's not producing figs, it's taking up some pretty precious space that could be filled with a productive tree. Maybe another fig tree or some other tree of a different variety. But the point Jesus is making, you get it, folks. This tree that's not producing is taking up space. And so Jesus tells a story about a landowner who had all set to take the chainsaw to the unproductive fruit tree. But the gardener, the head farmer there, says, please, Lord, you know, can I have one more year to do something to make this tree productive? I'm hoping I can. And I'll dig around its roots, I'll aerate it better, put in some top-notch fertilizer rich in nitrogen. Would you please give the tree a second chance? And then if, if at the end of the year it still doesn't show any improvement, I'll gladly chop it down for you. Okay. So that's the story Jesus tells. But I think part of the interesting part of this story that he told this parable is that Jesus leaves the parable open-ended. We don't know how it ends. He doesn't indicate whether the landowner gave in to the request and said, oh, okay, I'll give you another year. And if he did, whether the tree, the fig tree was actually fruitful and was spared. Or we don't know if the gardener carried through with his promise or not, whether it failed to produce and was cut down. Or whether it failed to produce and the gardener pleaded once more and got an extension of his product. We don't know any of that. Because that's not Jesus' primary point in telling the story. And he purposefully leaves it open-ended to let us know that God keeps on giving each of us extra opportunities to make our lives fruitful. That's the second takeaway for today. He gives us extra opportunities to make our lives fruitful. And we have to ask ourselves as we leave here this morning, what am I doing with those chances? And who's that up to? ourselves, you and me. So when that second chance turns out to be the final chance, it's not something we know in advance. We don't know if this is going to be the way it ends or not. Jesus is open-ended end to his parable. So Jesus' point was that the tree always faces the danger of being out of the picture, either by being cut down or by rotting at the roots or by being destroyed with the next tornado that blows through town. We never know. And that's true of each one of us here this morning. We don't know what tomorrow brings. Hopefully good stuff. I want the good stuff. But we know that that doesn't always happen. So he makes the point, be thankful when we have another kick at the can. Another go at the goal. And do what we need to do. Now, I would suspect that if we were to go around the room and just kind of each of you share a little bit, every one of us here can give at least one example from your life that illustrates a second chance that God's given you. But I can think of a bunch that he's given me a second chance that if we would have followed through, I would have really messed up things. But he gave me another opportunity. Maybe you came this close to being killed in an accident of some kind. 
or maybe your previous relationship ended in failure, but you found yourself in a soulmate now. Wow. Perhaps you were headed down a destructive path with an addiction or two. When God stopped you cold in your tracks somehow. Or perhaps he's given us other opportunities and helped us get straightened out. Perhaps the crowd that you hung around with was dragging you down, and now you've made some new friends. Well, several years ago, there was a comic strip of Lucy and Charlie Brown. And this is one I'm, I'm quite confident you've all seen because it's a repeated theme over and over and over again in this comic strip. And it has Lucy holding the football, Charlie Brown practicing his football kick. And always Lucy would hold the ball for Charlie's place kicking. And when Charlie would kick the ball, and every time Lucy held the ball for Charlie, he would approach the ball and kick it with all his might. And at the precise moment, at the point of no return, what happens? Whoop! Lucy picks it up the ball, and Charlie goes, boom, falls flat on the back. Well, this particular strip opens with Lucy holding the ball, but Charlie Brown, he wasn't going to kick it this time. Mm -mm -mm. I know your game, Lucy. I'm not going to do it. That's how the strip opens. But Lucy begs him to kick the ball. Please, Charlie. And Charlie Brown said, you know, Lucy, every time I try to kick that ball, you move it. And I fall on my back, and I don't like that. And Lucy and Charlie, they go back and forth for the longest time, and finally Lucy broke down and said, Charlie, she's in tears, and she admits, I've been so terrible to you over the years, picking up the football like I have. I've played so many cruel tricks on you, Charlie. But, Charlie, I've seen the error of my ways. I've seen the hurt look in your eyes when I've deceived you. I've been wrong, so wrong. Won't you please give this poor penitent girl another chance. And Charlie Brown was so moved by her display of grief and responded to her, oh, Lucy, of course I will. I'll give you another chance. Steps back as she held the ball and he runs. And at the last moment, Lucy did it again. He picked up the ball and Charlie, whoop, boom, flat on his back. And as Charlie's laying there, Lucy comes to him and looks at him. And here's the punchline to the whole thing. And hopefully you recognize it today. Recognizing your fault and actually changing your ways are two different things, Charlie Brown. Can you relate to that? Ouch. She's right, of course, isn't she? And so we ask ourselves, are you going to change your ways as of today? Or are you going to continue to just talk about it? Talk the game. Pull a Lucy and keep doing that hurtful thing again and again and again. Well, life's a gift. Hopefully we know that. It can be snatched away at any time. Many of us understand that. Life is not our right. It's a gift from God to be cherished and used to God's glory every day we're given. Because none of us knows how many times we, how much time we may have. And you and I have been given second chances, many of them. Perhaps a second chance to slow down the pace. Perhaps a second chance to stop and smell the roses while we're still able. Perhaps a second chance to work on that communication problem with our kids or our spouse. 
Perhaps we're given a second chance to shorten the distance that's grown in some vital relationship. Or to give up that habit that's robbing us of our health. Or maybe a second chance to repent and get back into a right relationship with God. The time to repent. The time to turn our life around. The time to do what we know we need to do is when. What do you think? Now. Now. Now's the time to say, I love you. Now's the time to say, I'm sorry. Now's the time to say, I forgive you. Now's the time to say, I really need you. Now's the time to do that thing that you've always wanted to do, and always meant to do, and always hoped to do, and ought to do. And it's the time to focus your energy on Christ Jesus. The time to begin really living for Jesus. The time to bear fruit for Him. Because you may not have another second chance. Amen.